Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Saturday, August 5th, 2023, the 927th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So here we are for a rare Saturday episode. I said that I was going to try to stay on schedule as much as possible, at least produce as many shows and put out as much content as I normally do while I'm out on the road, a vagabond in the middle of nowhere. 
And so when I have the opportunity to record and there are lots of interesting things to talk about, we're going to get an episode. And hopefully that will make up for the times where I am not able to get one in. We're just kind of switching up the routine a little bit, and I hope you all are able to remain on board with that. Now, we talked yesterday about these brand new Trump indictments. The special counsel, Jack Smith, took the referrals and the recommendations from the improperly formed sham January 6th committee, and he essentially copy and pasted those and then used them to arrest a former president. Now, normally in America, a bunch of trumped up political charges levied by one's political opponent in order to imprison that political opponent to prevent them from beating you in an election would be seen as bad. But we're in a new age in America now, and it's not bad. It's just what's necessary in order to preserve our democracy. And our democracy, of course, is the system of global communism that they try to implement in countries all over the world. And if you don't pay too much attention, the phrase our democracy, it sounds, first of all, inclusive. That's what the word our is meant to do. But then it also sounds democratic, like the people are making the choices. Now, pure democracy has never been an advisable form of government, and they knew this in ancient Greece thousands of years ago. But apparently everyone's decided to forego that history and pretend that it's not real, reinterpreting democracy as the highest form of government. Everybody has to be allowed to decide on everything all the time. And we don't even need to actually have the argument about whether democracy is good or bad, advisable or not. We can simply admit that if elections are stolen, then whether or not democracy is good doesn't matter. We don't have it either way. If elections aren't free and fair, safe and secure, and the reported results don't accurately reflect the will and intent of the voters, then there's nothing democratic about the system. It's just a totalitarian government deciding who will be the person who convinces the people that this is what they really want. And that's what regime politicians are there to do. The regime gives the people a couple options. They say, which of these options do you prefer? These are the only options you can have. Tell us which one you prefer, and then we will implement our program and tell you it's all this person doing it so that you can understand that you chose this and that you actually like it. Despite how things are going, this is what you chose. This is the best we can get while this system is implemented. And so all of you like it, just go about your normal lives. The system is not deciding these things for you. You are deciding them for yourself. And so the regime has always told us that things are always this way, the good way. Never any other way, those bad ways. And it will only be this good way forever because that's the sort of people we are, except in the most extreme cases. You see, we have these general rules about our democracy and how things should go. We should be able to elect our leaders and the leaders will implement the will of the people. And if the leaders don't properly implement the will of the people, the people have the opportunity to vote those leaders out and choose new leaders. 
And because that system is so well designed and so fair, it's clear that to oppose the results produced by that system is to oppose the system itself. And it's not only to oppose the system, it's to oppose all of your fellow citizens who have voted for the results that the system produces that you just simply don't happen to like. There might be a time in the future where the system produces results that they don't like, that you do like, and over time, it'll all even out. This is the best system. We have to respect it. This is our democracy. Don't you dare threaten it. We have certain standards. We have certain norms. You don't question the results of elections, except in the most extreme cases. You don't try to pursue and lock up your political opponents, except in the most extreme cases. You don't propagandize the people. You don't censor the people, except in the most extreme cases. You don't go to wars of choice, except in the most extreme cases. And it just turns out that across the board, we are right in the middle of all the most extreme cases. Our democracy, as it were, (laughs) is being threatened all around the world, which is what becomes possible when you try to create a one world global government and a one world system. When you try to eliminate borders and thereby sovereign nations, it's just one world acting together. And so right now we see our democracy threatened around the world. And that, my friends, is an extreme case. And the leaders threatening our democracy around the world present their own extreme cases. And that's why, for instance, it is totally okay to try to imprison Donald Trump to prevent him from becoming recognized as president in 2024. In 2016, It was totally okay for Hillary Clinton to fund the creation of the Steele dossier and accuse her opponent of colluding with Russia in order to rig and steal the 2016 election. It was okay for the president and vice president and our law enforcement agencies to know all of that and just turn a blind eye. And once Hillary Clinton's political opponent defeated her in that election, it immediately became okay to undermine the transition and then attempt to subvert the presidency because we were dealing with a very extreme case. And in the most extreme cases, we can make exceptions. That's the whole point. It's important to have moral principles, except in the most extreme cases. And the definition of most extreme, of course, is totally relative. Everyone can basically just decide on their own when a case becomes a most extreme case. There doesn't need to be a standard. They just need to feel like things are being threatened and nothing threatens them more than Donald Trump. Donald Trump is himself an extreme case. Therefore, all of the rules are pushed off to the side until the extreme case can be dealt with, and then we'll return back to normal where we abide by these rules and these standards, these norms, these principles. But they can't be expected to just abide by all these rules in an extreme case because the rules themselves are going to prevent them from doing what they need to do to handle the extreme case. Therefore, they can make an exception or a series of exceptions, or as many exceptions as they want. 
And if that means that they get to do absolutely whatever they want with no accountability and no recourse for years at a time, well, that's what has to happen to deal with this extreme case. Now, if you're thinking, doesn't that allow them to pretend to be moral while doing whatever they want all the time, any time that they can describe a situation as an extreme case? Well, the answer is yes. They are allowed to do whatever they want and tell everyone that they are the paragons of virtue and morality. They would never violate any principles. They would never violate any norms. They're the ones actually protecting these norms, and they're the only ones who would ever live by these norms because the other side won't do it, except in extreme cases. Now, when these extreme cases arise, it's entirely reasonable and entirely possible to continue supporting all the same standards and norms and principles, except when applied to the extreme case. The fact that they're violating the standards, these norms, these principles in the extreme case doesn't mean that they're doing it in general. You can't actually accuse them of failing to live up to their principles. They've just made an exception to deal with the extreme case. And while they're making that exception, they want to prove to everybody that it is only an exception. This is not the new principle. This is not the new standard of behavior. It really only just applies to this extreme case. And to make sure that everyone realizes that, they're going to need a series of examples that show them supporting the norms and the standards and the principles that everyone has been told we all support. And anyone would be hard-pressed to find a more perfect example of that than this tweet yesterday from the illegitimate administration's fake Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. He wrote on Twitter, well, X now, I'm probably only going to keep calling it Twitter for a while, because saying the phrase on X makes me feel like I am talking to one of my college friends who has just returned from raving the weekend away in New York City. But here's Antony Blinken. The United States strongly condemns Russia's conviction of opposition leader Alexei Navalny on politically motivated charges. The Kremlin cannot silence the truth. Navalny should be released. Now that is absolutely astounding. The ability for Antony Blinken to understand that the pursuit of Donald Trump by Blinken's own illegitimate administration represents an extreme case and that he is still able to stick to his principles like this, everyone should be impressed. He understands that it is absolutely wrong to arrest and imprison the political opposition except in extreme cases. And everybody knows that Alexei Navalny is a hero recognized around the world. No one should ever be able to imprison Alexei Navalny. He's one of the good guys. Donald Trump, on the other hand, is a threat to our democracy worldwide. He represents an extreme case. Therefore, it's not a violation of principles to arrest and imprison Donald Trump. It's how we preserve our democracy in an extreme case. So let's see what exactly Alexei Navalny is accused of and why he's being jailed. This is CNBC from yesterday, August 4th. Jailed Putin critic Alexei Navalny handed 19 more years in prison. 
Kremlin opposition leader Alexei Navalny was sentenced to 19 more years in prison after being found guilty in a Russian court on a series of charges, his team confirmed Friday. Navalny faced charges of inciting and financing quote-unquote extremist activity and quote-unquote rehabilitating Nazi ideology. Charges he and his supporters reject, and that's important. His supporters reject the charges. It matters in this case because the supporters view on the charges against Navalny. Well, that is a democratic decision. And if supporters of Donald Trump support Donald Trump through this time, well, they're just cult members doing what they're told by their cult leader, even though they didn't listen to that cult leader when he told them to inject themselves with a toxic experimental substance that can't protect them from a disease that can't kill them, that he totally made. You see, the thing about those cult members is that they have no principles. They only follow the cult leader sometimes when they feel like it. They have their own sort of relativism when it comes to the commands of the cult leader, and they can feel free to violate the cult leader's orders whenever they determine that an extreme case exists. Now, it's important to understand that there's absolutely no way that Alexei Navalny could ever be a bad guy because he has an HBO documentary made all about him. You see, Alexei Navalny is a freedom fighter in Russia, and Putin tried to kill him by poisoning him. He has an amazing backstory. He is the regime's great hope for Russia. Finally, bring down Vladimir Putin, install Alexei Navalny, and everything will get back on track in Russia for the regime. Is it wrong to interfere in the politics of other nations? Well, yes, but not in extreme cases. If you are able to determine that an extreme case exists, well, then you can do whatever you want. In a social media post on Thursday, Navalny said that he expected to receive a quote-unquote Stalinist prison term. He has also condemned Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, calling it, quote, the most stupid and senseless war of the 21st century. Really, it's worse than Afghanistan? So Navalny wrote a 21-post thread on X, formerly Twitter, where he describes the injustices being done to him. Navalny, one of Russian President Vladimir Putin's most vocal critics, was already serving two prison sentences, a nine-year prison sentence on charges of embezzlement and fraud and more than two years for a parole violation. Friday's sentence marks Navalny's third and longest prison term. The Biden administration said it will continue to advocate for Navalny and the, quote, more than 500 other designated political prisoners Russia holds, end quote. For years, the Kremlin has attempted to silence Navalny and prevent his calls for transparency and accountability from reaching the Russian people. State Department spokesman Matt Miller wrote in a statement. By conducting this latest trial in secret and limiting his lawyer's access to purported evidence, Russian authorities illustrated yet again both the baselessness of their case and the lack of due process afforded to those who dare to criticize the regime. You see, all of this is very principled. They can totally enact and abide by their principles while understanding that those principles can't always be enacted and applied and certainly not in extreme cases. Now, does Navalny sound like someone who is innocent, 
The regime loves him. They make documentaries about him. He is the great hope for Russia and has been for years. That mean old Vladimir Putin is always coming after him just because he's doing things like financing extremist activity, rehabilitating Nazi ideology, and committing fraud and embezzlement. And you might say, where's the proof? Who can say that he has done all these things? How can he possibly be accused of rehabilitating a Nazi ideology? And then you realize that he is supporting Ukraine and Ukraine is expressly committed to rehabilitating a Nazi ideology. In fact, the rehabilitation of the Nazi ideology is what has propelled Ukraine to fight the ethnic civil war they've been fighting for the last nine years. And it is the destruction of that very same rehabilitated Nazi ideology that Putin has been pursuing in Ukraine for the last year and a half. United Nations Human Rights Chief Volker Turk called for Navalny's immediate release and slammed the, quote, vague and overly broad charges. He says the new sentence imposed today on opposition figure Alexei Navalny raises renewed serious concerns about judicial harassment and instrumentalization of the court system for political purposes in Russia. So the illegitimate administration agrees that this is a violation of the global norms and standards and principles, and the United Nations agrees as well. But there is no mention here, no outrage about the pursuit of Donald Trump by the illegitimate administration in the United States. Why? Because it's one of the most extreme possible cases. Donald Trump not only nearly destroyed our democracy, at the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021, he's threatening to destroy our democracy again in 2024 simply by running. The very people who control the election apparatus in our country and rig and steal elections up and down the ballot across the nation are horrified of the prospect of Donald Trump even campaigning. That's how extreme a case he is. Now, speaking of that big jerk, Vladimir Putin, this is from the Wall Street Journal today. Ukrainian sea drones attack Russian oil tanker in Black Sea. And yesterday on Badlands Daily, Brian and I briefly addressed this. The news had just broken as we were starting the show. And I said, this is the sort of story that we should approach with extreme skepticism because we have heard of a great many of these attacks. We've been shown all sorts of videos from the ghost of Kiev on the takeover of Snake Island and the execution of the soldiers there. All of these fake stories we saw at the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine situation. And when we hear about these big explosive, no pun intended stories, it's good to sit back and let them develop a bit. We have heard plenty of stories about attacks on Russian assets over the last couple of years. The event that is sure to spark an escalation in the conflict, potentially lead us to a much more dramatic scenario like nuclear war or something. We had the attack on the Nord Stream pipelines. We had the attack on the bridge to Crimea. We had the attempted assassination of Alexander Dugan that ended up killing his daughter. We've been told that drones tried to attack the Kremlin. There's a whole series of these events. This is the latest one. So let's just have a look and see what they're saying. Again, this is the Wall Street Journal today. 
Ukrainian sea drones attacked an oil tanker sanctioned by the U.S. for working for the Russian military, potentially bringing the war into a new phase that threatens Russia's vital shipping lanes in the Black Sea. So the United States designated this oil tanker as working for the Russian military, and they officially sanctioned this boat. And now it just so happens that this is the boat the Ukrainian drones have attacked. Maritime surface drones struck the Russian oil tanker SIG overnight near the Kerch Bridge that links Russia to the occupied Crimean Peninsula, causing damage to the engine room, according to the Russian state news agency TASS, which cited the Marine Rescue Coordination Center of Novorossiysk. And I hope I am pronouncing that correctly. So basically, they had a little remote controlled boat that sped through the water and ran into this Russian ship, causing damage in the engine room. Now, this Kerch Bridge, that's the bridge to Crimea that has already been attacked twice over the last year. Now, the global regime and the state propaganda media of that global regime still considers Crimea to be part of Ukraine and not part of Russia, as it's already been for like eight plus years. That would be like calling a woman your girlfriend, even though she's married to someone else and has three kids. The attack intensifies hostilities in the Black Sea after weeks in which Russia has heightened tensions in the region by imposing a de facto blockade on much of Ukraine's grain exports, striking Ukrainian ports and threatening to attack civilian ships on their way there. Ukraine in late July issued its own warning, saying it would treat ships headed to Russian ports as potential military targets. This was an apparent attempt to turn the tables on Russia by imposing an insurance blockade, a freezing of commercial maritime activity that would happen if insurers refused to cover civilian ships heading to and from Russian ports on the Black Sea. So Ukraine is treating civilian ships, commercial ships, as military targets. And we can pretend that Ukraine is just Ukraine, the country in Europe led by the comedic actor Volodymyr Zelensky. But Ukraine is not just Ukraine. Ukraine is a global regime proxy state. And because of that, they are essentially a U.S. proxy state. We know that the United States has been sending money there, sending weapons there, supplying Ukraine with intelligence and targeting and essentially leading this proxy war. So what we have here are civilian commercial ships being designated as potential military targets, more or less in our name, which might normally be considered international terrorism on an extraordinary scale that could immediately lead us into war. But it's important to remember that this is an extreme case, and therefore we can support all of our principles while... Putting them aside, the article notes the tanker was under U.S. sanctions for carrying fuel to Russian forces operating in Syria. The Treasury Department's sanctions designation for the ship said it was linked to TransPetrochart, a Russian company that was targeted for its role in, quote, facilitating the illicit transfer of jet fuel to the Russian military in Syria, end quote. The ship had loaded fuel from a refinery in Feodosia 
in occupied Crimea, experts said. So the United States decided that Russia is not allowed to take that fuel from Crimea to supply its other troops somewhere else. And therefore, it is okay for Ukraine to attack the ship. The United States has spoken for the global community. They have designated an extreme case here, and an exception has been made. Following explosions in the area, Russian authorities halted traffic on the Kerch Bridge to Crimea before allowing vehicles to pass again on Saturday morning, TASS reported. The incident was the latest incident to affect the bridge after a separate Ukrainian drone attack disabled it last month. The bridge is a crown jewel of Russia's efforts to expand its power in the region, opened by President Vladimir Putin following Russia's 2014 annexation of Crimea. Moscow's use of civilian ships to carry supplies, including weapons for the Russian armed forces, has been a rising source of tension in the region. Ukrainian officials have called on Turkey to block ships carrying weapons from transiting the Bosporus into the Black Sea. So the U.S. sanctions and designates as a problem this Russian ship that is going to transport fuel to troops in Syria, Russian troops in Syria. The United States decides, I guess unilaterally, oh, I'm just kidding, in coordination with the global regime and the United Nations and all of that, and of course Ukraine, they decide that this ship is a problem and that it is okay for Ukraine to attack this civilian ship because this civilian ship is now designated as a potential military target. And again, normally you wouldn't designate civilian infrastructure or civilian ships as potential military targets, but this is an extreme case. So like last year with the Crimean Bridge, like this year with the Crimean Bridge, like last year with the Nord Stream pipelines, like last year with Alexander Dugan, these are all just necessary attacks. The whole thing is an extreme case. Therefore, all of these things that we wouldn't normally do, they're all permitted. But nonetheless, Russia, who we are not at war with, is not allowed to transport anything that may be related to war in any way down to Syria, who we are also not at war with. What's happening is that we are essentially policing the transport of supplies to and from Russia and its assets, then attacking those assets, saying it's Ukraine who pulled off the attacks and therefore it's okay because they are at war with Russia a war of Russia's own making, a brutal invasion, in fact. Therefore, all of this is okay. And did the United States declare war? No. Do the people of the United States consent to any of this? Well, some do, but mostly no. Does any of that matter? No, of course not, because this is an extreme case. So Alexei Navalny is having his prison term extended, which is inconceivable because he is a world-renowned hero despite helping to rehabilitate Nazi ideology. And Russian tankers and transport ships are being blown up because Putin's brutal invasion cannot be allowed to succeed, even though there has never been an argument made about what America's interests are in Ukraine. Of course, there is that whole Hunter Biden thing. You know, that whole Joe Biden thing, you know, that whole uh, Barack Obama thing, 
the Burisma thing, you know, the Metabiota thing, that thing that all these powerful American political families are involved with over there, that thing with the uh, the bio labs, that thing with the drug and human trafficking, that thing with the money laundering and corruption, that thing with selling out American interests to foreign energy companies, that thing with the uh, the proxy wars using CIA trained Nazi battalions, that thing, you know, the you know, the thing. But we're talking about extreme cases. So all bets are off. And here's an extreme case for you. This is yesterday in the New York Post. Nuclear doomsday threat is great and growing. Scientists urgently warn. So a nuclear doomsday possibility on the horizon as we continue to attempt to escalate the war between Russia and Ukraine. And our media can pretend and all of us can pretend that this is really Ukraine defending its sovereign territory. People can claim that till the end of days. They can use their little Ukraine flag emojis and scream Slava Ukraini on Twitter. But all the pretending in the world isn't going to convince Vladimir Putin of that. He's not confused about who he's fighting. He's not confused about whether or not those are real Ukrainian troops on the battlefield just trying to defend their sovereign borders. He's not pretending about any of this. Over the last year and a half, we have seen continued escalations. We are told about these escalations and that these escalations might provoke a major reaction by Putin that is going to lead us into a much broader, more violent, more all-encompassing conflict. And that if that happens, all bets are off and Putin might go nuclear. He might launch a nuclear first strike despite having dominated this war from the very first day. He's going to go out and start nuking people, even though Russia is under no threat whatsoever of, quote unquote, losing this war. But let's see what scientists have to say about nuclear doomsday. The satire of 1964's Dr. Strangelove may become a terrifying global reality by 2024. A coalition of scientists desperately warn. Now, I'm pretty proud when I see the story get to this point that Burning Bright and I began Badland Story Hour with Dr. Strangelove. It was fairly obvious to me at that point when I chose this film that it would be important for us to know about in the future because it is a farce about the world's leaders and how more or less incompetent they are, even in moments that risk the future of all mankind. But here we go. Let's get into the science. Over a hundred medical journals are simultaneously sounding the alarm that the potential for world ending nuclear conflict is, quote, great and growing amidst states like Russia dangerously stockpiling their doomsday payloads. A large scale nuclear war between the U.S. and Russia could kill 200 million people or more in the near term and potentially cause a global nuclear winter. That could kill five to six billion people, threatening the survival of humanity. They wrote in unison. Well, OK, let's get down to some English here. They did not write that in unison. 
That would be a hundred of them sitting around in a room at their little desks as if they're all taking the SATs, writing down these sentences at the same time. This is ridiculous. Any use of nuclear weapons would be catastrophic for humanity. Even a limited nuclear war involving only 250 of the 13,000 nuclear weapons in the world could kill 120 million people outright and cause global climate disruption, leading to a nuclear famine, putting 2 billion people at risk. And I have got to say that after reading the text on the Georgia Guidestones, that fortunately no longer exist. It sounds like they're proposing numbers that could get them down to that 800 million mark where they actually want the population to be. The red alert follows January's frightening moving up of the doomsday clock. Now 90 seconds to midnight in what the bulletin of the atomic scientists called the closest to global catastrophe it has ever been this time last year, United Nations secretary general Antonio Gutierrez also said we are in a, quote, time of nuclear danger not seen since the height of the Cold War. And again, it is important to remember that last week he told us that the era of global warming is over and now we are in the era of global boiling. Can't you feel your skin melting off? This guy is the Secretary General of the United Nations, so you know he knows what he's talking about. He gets all the best advice from all the best scientists all around the world. I mean, he's the Secretary General of the UN. He's basically president of the entire world. But let's go on with this very important article. Now the medical journals have opted to intervene in the geopolitical crisis because the threat is now considered to be, quote, an urgent public health priority and fundamental steps must also be taken to address the root cause of the problem by abolishing nuclear weapons. The journals also stress that the intervention of medical science during the 1980s under the leadership of the 1985 Nobel Peace Prize winning international physicians for the prevention of nuclear war, quote, helped to end the Cold War arms race by educating policymakers and the public on both sides of the Iron Curtain about the medical consequences of nuclear war. <laughs> the danger is great and growing. The nuclear armed states must eliminate their nuclear arsenals before they eliminate us. So a bunch of medical scientists have gotten together to write in unison that the nuclear powers of the world must eliminate their nuclear arsenals. So if we hear a year from now, well, they've all eliminated their nuclear arsenals. What would you think of that? Yes, they had nukes and they eliminated them all or nah, they didn't have nukes the whole time. And now they're just telling us they got rid of them. I mean, you know where I stand at this point. A coalition of scientists, a hundred medical journals writing in unison, telling us that their medical scientist expertise enables them to comment on the future of geopolitics and war based on their understanding of what would happen to people's health in the event of a massive nuclear war. 
And let's simplify that just a tiny bit more. This coalition of scientists in these medical journals is telling us that the health effects of nuclear war would be very, very bad, even though, you know, they haven't really dealt with that before. And that means that it is their moral duty as scientists to let the world know that we are under grave threat of nuclear holocaust, not based on their understanding of geopolitics, but based on their understanding of the health consequences of something that's never happened before. You got to trust the science. Now, these scientists might well admit that generally speaking, Standards and norms and principles would be applied. And those standards and norms and principles would suggest to these scientists, hey, scientists, it's probably a bad idea to make these definitive statements about fields in which you have absolutely no expertise or understanding at all, especially when you are claiming your expertise as a medical scientist is what allows you to make these sorts of comments in a sophisticated fashion. That's normally something that they might try to avoid. But again, this is an extreme case. What could be a more extreme case than nuclear holocaust? As soon as you say the words nuclear holocaust, you are immediately allowed to opine on anything from an expert's perspective. Principles and standards and norms be damned. The situation is just too serious. And in any situation, that is this serious, the only people to call on are those in an unnamed coalition of scientists and a hundred medical journals writing in unison. In an extreme case like this, it is their responsibility to tell the world, hey, you might have health problems if we end up in nuclear war. And to reiterate a point I have made a bunch of times now, if all of this was real and this threat was real, why would they have to be creating all of this additional unfounded fear? Are we really supposed to believe that this threat is actually so real that even coalitions of medical journals need to get on board in the effort to let the public know that they should be extra scared of nuclear war? And that news comes out on the same day that we hear more Russian assets were attacked and could lead to an escalation of the conflict. Now, do I know they're not real? No, of course, I don't know that. Maybe they are real. And maybe massive society-wide fear is the only way to solve the problem, just like it was in the pandemic. And now I know that we don't always take Trump literally, but we do take him seriously. But it does make sense to analyze his words literally as well. And here is what he literally said last night. Before I even arrive at the Oval Office shortly after we win the presidency, because we are going to win it, I will have the horrible war between Russia and Ukraine settled. I know them both very well. They will settle. It would have never, ever happened. It will be done very, very quickly. I'm the only candidate who can make this promise. I will prevent World War III. And don't kid yourself, we're a lot closer to it than you think. A lot closer. And that would be a war like no other because we wouldn't have army tanks going back and forth shooting. They have nuclear. The levels of power are not to be believed. The levels of power are not to be believed. Now, do we take that literally or do we take it merely seriously? 
Is he saying these things are so powerful? It's hard to believe anything could be this powerful. Or is he saying the levels of power that are discussed out there are just clearly not to be believed? It's very reminiscent of last week when he called the indictments fake. Should we take that literally? Are these really fake indictments? Or are the indictments just premised on a bunch of factual claims that Donald Trump believes not to be true? Because of the way our language operates, most people would just automatically assume the second one because the second one is a way that people talk. They embellish. And certainly a person like Donald Trump does that. But it's odd, isn't it, that we will bias toward believing that the person is just embellishing because for us and from our perspective, we assume that the other claim being made, the literal interpretation of the claim is actually just too extreme to be the thing that he is saying, even though he is using those words to say it. It's at least worth trying both on for size, particularly with all the other chatter and propaganda about nuclear weapons and nuclear war that we have been exposed to in the last couple years. But let's close this article out. The scientists from the medical journals warning us about the health consequences of a nuclear war. It could wipe out even more people than the very deadly pandemic. The current crisis at hand most stems from Russia's ongoing invasion and subsequent war with Ukraine, according to the bulletin. Worst of all, Russia's thinly veiled threats to use nuclear weapons remind the world that escalation of the conflict by accident, intention or miscalculation is a terrible risk, the organization warned in January. And the words thinly veiled are doing a lot of work there. Thinly veiled means he didn't actually make any nuclear threats at all, but we're going to interpret them that way regardless. But that was January. Now they say these threats are becoming much more concrete. Former Russian president and Vladimir Putin placeholder Dmitry Medvedev, now the deputy head of Russia's Security Council, recently said, the apocalypse isn't just possible, but quite likely. We must take up this challenge again as an urgent priority, working with renewed energy to reduce the risks of nuclear war and to eliminate nuclear weapons, the medical journals wrote. Yes, yes, eliminate them. We do not want this sort of power in this world, this sort of power that simply cannot be believed. I think it is obviously great that Donald Trump is approaching all of this this way and making it so clear to the country that if he was there, there would be no chance of this escalating into a full-blown World War III. None of this has to be happening. He has a relationship with Volodymyr Zelensky. He has a relationship with Vladimir Putin. He knows what their individual interests are. He knows what their mutual interests are. He has leverage in his conversations with both of them. He actually is capable of ending this conflict. Joe Biden, as far as we know, has still not even spoken to Vladimir Putin since the beginning of all of this. Could Joe Biden, the fake president, end this war in 24 hours or at all? No, of course not. And the proof is that it started under Joe Biden's illegitimate presidency and continues to this day under Joe Biden's illegitimate presidency. The fake administration doesn't even have an explanation for this. They just say that they must defend Ukraine's sovereign territory at any cost. 
because that's what these brave Ukrainian people need and deserve from the international community. And Ukraine must win, despite the fact that they have absolutely no chance of winning. And since they must win, the only path to victory is extending and escalating this war that we still don't know why we're fighting. It can be prolonged. It can be expanded. It can be escalated. We can go to nuclear and that'll be Russia's fault. And normally we wouldn't want to do any of these things, except this is an extreme case. The American people, by and large, do not want this conflict. And Donald Trump is the only one capable of ending it. He made that clear at the speech last night, as he has done countless times over the past weeks and months. And he also said this. Deep state is destroying our nation, but the tables must turn and we will quickly destroy the deep state. We know where the bodies are buried. We will quickly destroy the deep state. We know where the bodies are buried. So Donald Trump was just indicted and arraigned on these new charges stemming from the work of the improperly formed January 6th committee. These are by far the gravest crimes any president of the United States of America has ever been accused of. He's defrauding the government, he is obstructing justice, and he is depriving the American people of their constitutionally guaranteed rights, most particularly their right to vote. And it's possible that the government could pursue the death penalty against Donald Trump. That's how extreme these charges are. And all of that, of course, is warranted because it's Donald Trump and because this is an extreme case. Now, despite these charges being so extreme and so severe, Donald Trump is not in custody. Donald Trump is still flying around the nation giving speeches. There has been no Donald Trump mugshot, sadly. I can't wait for it. Honestly, it's going to be magnificent. But for a criminal like this, for crimes of this magnitude, they are certainly being awfully lenient with him. I mean, he's a billionaire with his own plane. Why doesn't he fly his plane over to Russia and ask his best friend Vladimir Putin for political asylum? I mean, wouldn't that be the most obvious solution if everything the regime media tells us is true? Why would Donald Trump risk spending 500 years in prison or the death penalty when he could simply take off in his plane and go somewhere else? Are we pretending that Vladimir Putin would extradite Donald Trump to the United States to face justice? I mean, what sort of explanation is there for something so preposterous? He tried to destroy our democracy by knowingly telling lies about election fraud. And he's allowed to just fly around on his plane giving political speeches all across the country telling crowds of frustrated Americans that he is going to destroy the deep state. And apparently the deep state is concerned about that threat. This is from The Guardian yesterday. Donald Trump threatening social media posts flagged by prosecutors in court filing. U.S. prosecutors have used a court filing to flag a social media post from Donald Trump, arguing that it suggests he might intimidate witnesses by improperly disclosing confidential evidence received from the government. The Justice Department on Friday asked a federal judge overseeing the criminal case against the former president to step in after he released a post online that appeared to promise revenge on anyone who goes after him. On his Truth Social site, the former president wrote, 
If you go after me, I'm coming after you on Friday afternoon, a day after he pleaded not guilty to charges that he orchestrated a criminal conspiracy to try to reverse his 2020 election loss to Democrat Joe Biden. In the filing in the Washington federal court, the office of special counsel Jack Smith said Trump's post raised concerns that he might publicly reveal secret material such as grand jury transcripts obtained from prosecutors. Under the process known as discovery, prosecutors are required to provide defendants with the evidence against them so they can prepare their defense. It could have a harmful, chilling effect on witnesses or adversely affect the fair administration of justice. In this case, prosecutors wrote, noting that Trump has a history of attacking judges, attorneys and witnesses in other cases against him. So there has been much talk over the last few weeks about how these indictments and the trials that will follow will allow Donald Trump to subpoena all sorts of information from the government related to all of the issues covered in these indictments, everything from January 6th to election fraud to whatever national security issues may have been mentioned in these Trump documents from Mar-a-Lago. Trump will be able to subpoena that information during the discovery process, and he's going to learn a lot about what the federal government has been hiding from the people. For instance, the sham January 6th committee, we are told the committee examined millions of pages of evidence and documentation, a thousand witnesses. And if all that's true, then that information must be somewhere, but it certainly hasn't been exposed to the American public. All the American public knows, generally speaking, is what was shown in the J6 committee's primetime television series. Now, some of the transcripts of testimony have been released. We've seen some of Cash Patel's testimony, for instance, and his testimony was very revealing, not only about January 6th, but in the period leading up to January 6th, during the transition. And it wasn't only about issues related to the election and to the transition. The members of the illegitimate committee were asking him about foreign conflicts, things that were happening in Iran and Somalia. So we know the committee's scope was much broader than they let on. You can imagine that somewhere in all of the committee's work, they must have found something out about which Federal agents or assets were involved in J6. And you would suspect at least that unless this is an extreme case and they have to hide this evidence, that Donald Trump and his defense attorneys would have access to all of this information. They would have the right to access to this information. The U.S. government exists to serve the American people and to implement the will of the American people. The U.S. government does not exist to prosecute its own political opponents based on partial evidence. The government owes the accused the full evidence being used against them. The government is supposed to uphold the law, not win convictions on the basis of legal malfeasance. So the worry here is that Donald Trump and his team might find out all of these facts that are produced in the discovery process and that Trump being unable to control himself and reckless with his speech, he might take 
all of these new facts that the American people have never heard before. And he might go out and tell the American people about all of it. And that is just too big a risk. Sure, the government is supposed to be by, of, and for the people. But that's just something we say. That can't be a real thing. The people aren't responsible enough to deal with information on this level. That's why we don't give it to them in the first place. We would never grant them access to it in a situation like this, an extreme case, where we must prosecute and imprison the leading political opponent of the illegitimate president. Otherwise, that man might destroy our democracy worldwide. This is an extreme case. Donald Trump must be prevented from providing the American people with any sort of factual information that might be produced during discovery. And because he must be prevented from doing this, we have to have a justification for preventing him. And here is the justification. Donald Trump being reckless with his words again. Oh, he's gotten himself into trouble this time. If you go after me, I'm coming after you. That's what he's saying. If it's fair for you to prosecute your political opponent, then it's fair for me to prosecute my political opponents. And when I am back in office, that is exactly what I intend to do. He is making it clear, not only to his political opponents, but to the American people. These people have crossed lines that they cannot uncross. If Donald Trump is going to be pursued on false charges, then Donald Trump is going to pursue them based on what they have really done. And he knows he can prove that and make that case to the American people. And he has been making it now for years. The deep state is corrupt. These are servants of a global regime. The global regime's agenda is global communism. All the control at the top, everyone else is equal with one another, but not equal to those at the top. Those at the top make all the decisions for everyone in the world. They do it based on the science, based on the latest research, and they do all of it in the people's best interest. Just remember back when they told us to lock down and wear masks, that was for our own good because we are not responsible enough to make our own decisions. Just apply that kind of thinking to absolutely everything, and that's your future. And you might say, well, I don't want that future, but you don't have a choice because you voted for it in our democracy. And if you personally didn't vote for it, well, other people did, which means you don't have a choice. You have to abide by the rules. Otherwise, you are threatening our democracy. The prosecutor's filing asked U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin to issue a protective order prohibiting Trump and his lawyers from sharing any discovery materials with unauthorized people. Protective orders are routine in cases involving confidential documents, but prosecutors said it was particularly important to restrict public dissemination given Trump's social media statements. The facts of this case are too important for the public to know, and normally in the case of prosecuting a former president... That might seem like a strange approach, but not this time. This is an extreme case. How extreme? Well, this extreme. Yesterday, we talked about Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn and how it's hard to know how tall he is relative to CBS news reporters. This is 
another one of the crying Capitol Police officers who dutifully performed his lines before the sham January 6th committee last year, Michael Fanone on CNN. When I first learned about the indictment, um, I had a long conversation with a friend of mine, Ryan Riley, and uh, I told him how proud I felt uh, to be an American at that moment, Uh, much in the way that I did uh, when I learned that uh, our military had killed Osama bin Laden. Um, I just felt incredibly proud. These two um, seem incredibly to proud you? to have been. I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but the, why? Why are that? Why that comparison <clears throat> in particular? I believe they're comparable. In what way? Absolutely. Uh, Osama bin Laden was a terrorist who committed a horrific act against American people uh, and against our republic. And I believe that Donald Trump is a terrorist who committed horrific acts against the American people. You can imagine that that is a very eyebrow-raising statement, to say the least. The notion of Osama bin Laden in the comparison to Donald Trump, it likely speaks to just how deeply you have been concerned and have felt about all of this. Even CNN chief legal analyst Laura Coates thinks that his statement is a little overboard. Donald Trump is compared to Osama bin Laden. Donald Trump is a terrorist. Are you sure you want to be talking like that? And then she remembers that, of course, he is the most affected by this situation. Sure, his ability to cry on command and say whatever the regime wants him to say has made him a rich and famous man, but can you imagine how traumatic January 6th was for him, facing the very violent insurrection up close and personal? And sure, outlets like CNN have compared it to Pearl Harbor and the Civil War, the greatest attack on American soil in years or decades or centuries, whatever. They've even compared it to 9-11. It's just a little weird when one of their guests is doing it because the people at CNN know that they're just trying to sell some news. But my goodness, even Michael Fanone agrees. And it's understandable due to how he must feel about that whole event, it being an extreme case and all. I wonder how all of this might look after we get all of the information about what really went down that day. Because virtually no one really believes the story coming from Harry Dunn and Michael Fanone and Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and Adam Schiff and Benny Thompson. Why? Well, because it's a series of preposterous lies that no one could believe. How will all this look after we actually know what happened? Now, I don't know everything that we're going to see, but I have a feeling... It's going to make people like Michael Fanone, who are comparing Donald Trump to Osama bin Laden, seem a bit ridiculous. I mean, they've spent this entire time blaming all of this on Donald Trump and his supporters and denying that there was anyone else there that day who might have been instigating violence. And it definitely isn't Michael Fanone and Harry Dunn and their other two crying counterparts. But then we have the former chief of the Capitol Police, Stephen Sund, who is now out doing interviews and talking about 
his experience of that day. I mentioned that he was on with Lou Dobbs a few weeks ago. I recommend that interview very highly to everyone out there. And then this week we got leaked video of an interview he did with Tucker Carlson on Tucker's Fox show right before he was fired. Here's just a piece of what Stephen Sund had to say. And just a heads up, the problems with this audio are inherent in the audio. So there's nothing that can be done about that. You just got to grin and bear it. Director, there were intelligence, whatever you want to call them, operatives, people who were in contact with mm-hmm. the FBI were in the crowd that day, you know, not identified as such. Would that information have reached you? Would you know about that? So it's... It, it, it's interesting you ask that because within a few days of January 6th, I had a media reach out to me and go, hey, you were FBI had undercovers in the uh, crowd. I was like, oh, no, they would have told me. I had I had Steve Dan that had watched the field office on a call the day before. Didn't say anything to me about it. And now to see that they allegedly, according to the GAO report, had 18 operatives in the crowd, that's a lot of operatives. So when you look at the intelligence, intelligence was handled differently than any of those big events that we talk about especially for a big event that we see now, the threat stream that was associated with it. You know, whether it was IMF World Bank, you remember the, the 2000 Very, very IMF, well. Pretty well. I was there for that. Yeah. 2000, um, uh, the Bush inaugurations, the violence with that. Um, we would have had an executive briefing with the FBI. Would have been called into a skiff. The, the, all the local chiefs saying, hey, this is the type of stuff we're seeing. There would have been a, what's called a jib, a joint intelligence bulletin. Put out. None of that was done. It's no conference call. I mean, it would have been in, it would have been usual for FBI to host a, a regional conference call. But you think eighteen is a lot for that kind of event? I, I think so. I mean, I was telling so in the fact that we weren't aware, and I think DHS is now saying they had a number of uh, uh, HSI Homeland Security Investigations uh, people in there as well. So sounds like a number of the intelligence agencies had resources uh, in the crowd. So it was in. It, it, in the parlance of the internet, it was crawling with feds. I would say there was a, there's a fair amount of law enforcement in the crowd. That's what that's what it now appears when you at the eighteen. And I think DHSI uh, said they had twenty, possibly possibly twenty out there, if not more. Uh, that starts turning into a lot of people. Have you ever seen anything like that before? No, I have not. Not not that many. Not, not for a major event in Washington D.C. Uh, down in the mall. I might expect to see. You know, uh, Secret Service may have some undercovers. Yeah, FBI may have a couple, you know, MPD may have a couple, but nothing like that. That's a lot. So, yeah, it's unusual to have that many agents there. But this was going to be an extreme case for sure. Everybody knew that. I mean, Donald Trump even tweeted and said, we'll be wild. That automatically makes it an extreme case. And if we find out that some feds or people controlled by feds were actually instigating the entering of the Capitol building or initiating any of the violence that day, then we might have a totally different view of this situation than the mainstream media has tried to inculcate in us. We might think, wow, the federal government and its agents are not supposed to be instigating violence in this peaceful protest just to invalidate and marginalize the claims of these protesters. But then you have to remember that this was an extreme case. And that means that the normal rules, the normal principles, the normal standards, none of that can apply. But just this time, 
In fact, it's the exception to the rules that prove the rules. We are so committed to these principles that we only violate them whenever we need to. And the only reason we would ever need to is if an extreme case arises. How will we know if a case becomes extreme? Well, we'll just have to use our best judgment. And that's what you've given us the power to do through your votes in our democracy. And it's the integrity of our elections in our democracy that allows us to know that we are doing right by the American people who have entrusted us with this responsibility. And we would never subvert the integrity of our elections except in an extreme case. In fact, it's our words expressing our commitment to these standards, these norms, and these principles that let you know our commitment is real, no matter what our actions actually are, whenever an extreme case might arrive. I'll be back tomorrow, I think, and I think I will probably miss Monday. But whatever the case, it'll be around the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network, though I don't have a network. Masked and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 
shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range.